0: Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor, and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that's old enough to remember a time when Manchester United scored goals and Anfield was a fortress. No, really, it's true. If you're a kid listening, to... <laughs> if you're a kid listening to this, ask your dad; he'll tell you. On today's show, we're going to be looking ahead to this weekend's 185th Manchester Derby, of course, and tackling to the latest charge levelled at City. This time, that we're boring. I know, where would you begin with such a nonsense? Well, you begin by inviting on two ace guests to break down the accusation. And today I'm delighted to be joined by two guys who couldn't be dull if he tried. It's Aesan and Chris. Hi Aesan, are you well, mate? Um, as I said to so you off air,
1: I'm buzzing, mate. Lovely. And, and the reason for that? <laughs> so <laughs> many reasons. Um, your intro covered a lot. No, I mean, look it's been a great week for me professionally. It's been a great week for the football. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying really hard. Like Claire's gone back to work this week. She's teaching, uh, which means that it's, we have to try and find, we have to try and find some normality inside of this continuing pandemic thing. Mm. Um, and so we kind of really vowed this week that we would just try and be really positive and be grateful for the things that we've got rather than being, I was quite frustrated the last month or two. I've really struggled with the with the isolation and with being <clears throat> just not seeing people feeling like the only communication you have is like this on the internet through a screen. Um, yeah, so so it's been a week of kind of charging forward positively and lots of little things have helped to charge forward. Mate, well, not only is
0: that really good to hear, but it's infectious as well, I actually feel much more upbeat since we've started chatting, so uh, yeah, long way to continue. Chris, are you similarly upbeat, are you well,
2: are you busy? Yeah, well, I'm busy, I'm similar to Asan as well, I've had to check myself recently, finding myself, not sinking down, but just like, you know, fatigued, sort of mentally, Mm. emotionally, and... um, and just feeling I'm living a one dimensional existence you know and that's what I said before the football is keeping me going and i'm i'm a bit chirpy this morning i uh, like it and i've been for a run but also i tuned into the liverpool game last night with a sort of passive level of interest and it actually cheered me up no end, really. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a kind of... It's a really peculiar thing that I'm watching unfold at Anfield uh, at the minute. So, no, I'm all good. And, yeah, and and I agree. It's like having these conversations online, talking about something that we have in common is always enough to cheer me up.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, well, Liverpool we are doing, you know, everyone a service right now,
1: so fair do something for that. <laughs> is it uh, bad that we enjoy it? I mean, like, you know... I told you, didn't I? Off air that I, I was talking to to two United fans last night um, during that Liverpool game, and even they were like, "You're enjoying this way too much." <laughs> and my thing was like, "Yeah, but they, you know, maybe maybe my memory is longer than other people's, or maybe you know, we forget these things quite quickly. But for me, it's not that long ago that they were like." basically calling themselves the insufferables and saying that you've not seen anything yet. Like you wait until, you know, like this is the first of many titles. You know what I mean? Like it just, there was like this sense of like, you're never going to stop us. Now something has been built that will never be deconstructed. And I don't know for it to fall apart so quickly and not just, but it, because it's not just like they've gone from first to second. It's like a total implosion. Yeah. You couldn't have written it. Like if I'd have written a script for how badly wrong Liverpool seasons could be, even I couldn't have got there. Do you know what I mean? Like it's 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 ticked every box, and then it does make you wonder, did they do a deal with the devil last season? Because, <laughs> you know, I mean you know I seen Salah get sub last night and walk off the the pitch shaking his head and I see his agent like on Twitter like 30 seconds later with the full stop and I'm just going this is insane like this is I, c- can either of you remember a league title to an implosion at that level no and what baffles
0: Leicester. me yeah i mean cuz Leicester was so bizarre in itself anyway it was whatever
2: Blackburn, Black yes. With, 95, yeah. 96. Let's say we're just capitulated. batty. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting because I, I take a slightly different tap because after two decades of dominance from United and constant you know, bullshit from United fans, when we started to progress and win things, I swore to myself I would never gloat because I find it undignified. And actually it works because I don't say anything to United or Liverpool fans and my silence is deafening because they just wait because they're yep. desperate to have Bottom. a fight, yep. and and you know and and Bottom. so I've never I've always tried to t- try to take a sort of dignified stance and also we don't need to say anything either. You're right, it, it, it feels scripted. Uh, it slightly worries me because in any classic. 3 act structure, there's always <laughs> you, you get a dip and then you get something coming back, so it worries me a little act, bit. The, the twist, yeah, at the, end of the second act. The third you know act worries going. me a little bit, so
0: which which will probably be a Champions League final or something like that. But yeah, I, I don't care. <laughs> That's the thing. I was talking to a Liverpool fan last night, a mate of mine, and, and he said, Well, you know, it'd be, it'd be quite funny at least if we win the Champions League finish outside the top four. And I was, like, I don't care if you do, mate. I don't, I'm past all that now. I'm just kind of enjoying this. It's just a a farce, a comedy that I'm sitting down and and just enjoying. So it's not, it's baffling to me when I think how recent it was that I would be desperate for a draw from Liverpool. You know, if they were playing someone and I'd watch them and it'd be like, come on, I'll take a draw. Draw be brilliant. It'll give us a slight hope and and all the rest of it. That seems so long ago now. It's amazing. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't have imagined it to be as good as it is. And no, exam uh, return to your question, uh, it's not wrong to feel so much get so much joy from it because <laughs> I remember what they were like on Twitter and mm. they were gearing up to be the most obnoxious, entitled fan base that ever was and ever will be again. And now they've been humbled, and it's it's wonderful. Right, gentlemen, on to business. Um, and Manchester City. Boring, dull, predictable, Manchester City, pass, 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 win, win, win. Um, This has been building up for some time. It's been bubbling away, and it's just come to the fore recently, Um, mainly from rival fan bases, as you'd expect, but also from certain tropes and certain sections in the media. Uh, Asam, are Manchester uh, Manchester City dull?
1: So maybe I'm going to go against the grain here, but I... I understand what people are talking about. I think it's okay to look at the machine-like quality of City, um even even if we can see it as football of the gods and football of a higher level, um a little bit understand why it's boring for other people. I think I think it's important to remember that football for us is an emotional sport. Um, and I think that we supporters, they like emotional team. Cl- I think Klopp's team is popular as an example because it's an emotional team. It's a team built on emotion. Um, and Guardiola's football is emotionless Ugh. and it has to be emotionless for it to be effective. Um, but I think because it's emotionless, it can feel cold. So, yeah, I mean, I'm uh, to to me, that notion, th- this idea that City are boring and they're boring to watch, I love that when people say that. I'm like, yeah, man, that's how good we are. We're so good that it's boring. The other team have no chance. The thing with the difference, and whether you want to use United, 99, 98, 99, that era, United, or you want to talk about Liverpool now, These teams, they were not perfect in the way that Manchester City are perfect. They still played with a lot of emotion, and that meant that the opposition were allowed to play with emotion. And therefore, there was an ebb and flow to the game that the spectator or the neutral could enjoy or take something from. Pep Guardiola's Manchester City humiliating professional footballers and professional (laughs) football teams every three days – it's just not an edifying spectacle, I have to be honest with you. Um, I, I get it. And I'll the, the final thing I'll say on it is I get it because I remember watching Pep's Bayern and I remember watching Pep's Barca and I remember being sick of both teams and I remember thinking, of both teams, this is boring. I'm, mm. I'm not getting anything from this. They are humiliating the opposition. The opposition can't get the ball. This is just, you know, yeah, it's not... It's not it's not a competition with two teams in it. It's a it's a terrible mismatch. So yeah, I, I think that and I'm maybe I'm taking it to its extreme, but at its extreme, that's what they're talking about for me, and I do understand it. Chris, are you also
0: kind of insinuating uh, and I, guess I did touch on this, that City are, you know, a Lewis Hamilton, a Stephen Hendry, a kind of a mechanical winner if you like. Um, you know, with, with the best kind of equipment and basically it's almost inevitable that we will win. I mean, it kind of diminishes our, our achievements that, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with what Aysan's saying. Yeah. It, it goes to the heart of what I think the essence of competitiveness is, is that a big part of, of competition is that the outcome is unknown and and it's unpredictable. And cities, like you say, cities' wins st- now feel inevitable, and that's not just because we're on this extraordinary run of victories back to back, but it's also the way we play. Is that the, the the and and this is important because this isn't just the way City approached the game; it's the way their opposition approached the game. So if you look at Wolves on Wednesday, um, sorry Tuesday, wasn't it? Um, you know, it, it was for the outsider, for the neutral. It, it was a dull, predictable game apart from about 10 minutes in the second half where they equalised and it became a little bit more end-to-end. So for the neutral, it was more exciting. But there is, you know, that, that predictability, we love it. Because it makes us feel reassured as a City fan, but for the neutral observer, I can, I can understand it completely. Because the game starts, the, the teams, the, the opposition sit deep in their half, and City basically occupy their half, and they pass, 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 pass until they find a gap. I mean, even I, even I found myself on a couple of occasions in the first half against Wolves. I pick up my phone, and look at Twitter for a little bit, because I just know yeah. we're not going to lose yeah. the ball, and at some point we'll find that we'll find that gap. So I, I think it's fair enough. Not in the same way I used to watch Pete Sampras play tennis. And he'd get to the seventh game of the set, and then you just knew he'd break the serve and he'd go on to, to to win that set and win that match. Um, it, you know, it, it, it was it was predictable because there was no there was nothing there was no jeopardy in terms of what the outcome is. However, the flip side of that is that the other teams play a significant role in that in the way they they approach the game. In that they anticipate City's dominance, and so they have no ambition. And they put all their eggs in one basket for, uh, with the strategy of trying to get a goal uh, on the counter-attack. But, but maybe we need to look through this through a different lens. What we're seeing with City this season is an anomaly in that it's extraordinary. And yes, we, we did it for two seasons previously, but as last season showed, you just can't maintain that. Teams can't maintain that level of excellence, which, which is what Liverpool is experiencing now. So maybe that's the lens that the, that we should look through, is that when somebody reaches a certain level of excellence, a certain peak, it does have a predictability about it. Look at all the great champions across history in all the spo- in all the sports. There's a certain point at which their victories become predictable. And so the neutral starts to tune in, not to see them win, but yeah. to see them hopefully lose. And, and and that's what people will start to tune in to see. Waiting for City to to lose for that run to 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 stop. So, yeah, I understand why people say it's boring. The outcome may be seen as boring, but if people think the style of football is boring, I I can't agree with that because because. So they could say it's robotic or it's mechanical, but the simple fact is, it's it's football at its purest.
0: Well, absolutely. I'm, I'm. I agree with both of you to be fair, but I'm just going to put across kind of a, an opposite point of view here and say that it's the rest of the Premier League. It's boring. I mean, some of the stats from this season are staggering. Um, regarding nil nils, there's been 265 games played this season in the Premier League. 22 nil nils last year after 265 games, 11. So we're seeing double the amount of nil nil draws. 1-0s are up from um, 31 last season at this stage to 45. Score draws have gone up from 27 to 35. I'm tuning in to watch kind of West Brom, the Crystal Palace, or whoever it may be, or Burnley, the Aston Villa, and I'm half expecting a 0-0 draw or, at best, you know, one singular goal. And it's so dull to watch. And I'm really finding it hard to watch these games. City, we've got a funky forwardless system. We've got Gundo, we've got KDB, we've got the likes of Phil Foden, just lighting up games left, right and centre. There's other teams just sleepwalking through this season. Um, so although I accept every word that you both say, to be fair, I also think there's a there's an opposite point of view here where City are playing beautiful football. The others aren't even trying to.
1: Mm. I do think, you know, I, I, I definitely think that in general, the pandemic season has given a lot of players and a lot of teams a pass. Yeah, definitely. I think that you know, there's a lot of. I think Stefan said it on Twitter yesterday that you know when City were playing badly in October, November, it was because they'd had no preseason and they looked leggy, and you know it's because of the pandemic. And now Liverpool and United look shit, and and everybody are kind of rolling out the same excuses, and 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 it does begin to make you wonder whether how much of this is in the legs and how much of this is actually just in the head. Mm.
0: Yeah, well there were no fans there, but there's a get out clause, isn't it? To so mm-hmm. kind of you you no longer have that obligation at close hand to entertain, um, for one thing. And and there's certain players basically taking the easy route.
1: Um well, I, whereas I, we're I... not. I think the, the, to, just to, the last thing very quickly on City and Liverpool, for example, I think both of those teams are built on running, right? Um, and I think that one of the things that struck me last night watching Liverpool at home against Chelsea, where you've lost four on the bounce at home. And this is the thing that I felt against Everton. And I felt it even more strongly last night against Chelsea is that at no point did Liverpool look hungry to win the ball back so and that's if you're a team that's built on that and that goes there's there's there is almost nothing there and that's a little bit the I think that's where I kind of look at what Pep has said a lot in the last few weeks about, well, what changed? And he said, well, we went back to basics. I went back to the ABC, to my principles, what's important, how you win football games. And that's, again, where I began to realize that we're blessed because we have a coach, again, who operates, on a, I think, on a higher plane because his going back to basics is really just a way of saying football is simple
2: yeah. and
1: it's actually about running less and it's about making the ball do the work and it's about being calm and it's about being emotionless, right? And basically when he's like, what didn't you like about West, the West Brom game? Everybody's running everywhere. And he's basically saying there's too much emotion on that pitch. They need to stop. They need to go back to their basics. And that's about coaching and, and it's about having a coach with a, 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 a belief system that he can uh, instill in the players. And it's about the players being receptive to that. And the contrast for me here is when I watch Liverpool, I see a collection of players where it feels like whatever they're being told, they're not open to it anymore. And on the other side, City have almost traversed that kind of trough and now find themselves in a position where buying looks like it's never been higher. Um, who'd be a football manager, right? It's just really not easy.
2: But but you know, it's an interesting point, Neresa, because what I'm seeing, not not just with, well, actually, not with Liverpool, but with a lot of the teams across the Premier League, is this complacency, mm. which I think they feel they can justify because of the exceptional circumstances of the season. But as I've said before, it's no longer a weird season. We've got used to it. Everybody has adapted. And possibly City are unique this season in that they've got a very clear motivation, which was to get that title back and find a way to refresh the team, which is what Pep has addressed and what he's done. As we've said, Liverpool are a deeply emotional side. And they reached their holy grail last season after 30 years of perseverance and frustration and self-righteousness. And, 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 that, and once they've achieved that, what, what is there left to do? Now, obviously, if you're City, you say, well, we we'll do it again. I, I don't think Liverpool were emotionally, let alone physically, they were not emotionally capable of retaining the title this season. I think even if they'd not suffered injuries, Because he still had injuries leading up to Christmas and at the top of the table at Christmas. It's an emotional impact they've had to deal with. And if Klopp can't rethink his dialogue to those players in the dressing room, which history would suggest that's what he's incapable of doing as what happened at Dortmund, then that's where the key problem is. is their motivation? What are they aiming for? And I feel that it's the same. I agree, Steve, that I feel that a lot of teams are playing a complacent season, almost as if there's going to be an asterisk next to this season because of COVID.
0: Well, what Chris said there about kind of motivation and, you know, that they'd achieved their Holy Grail, Liverpool. Could it be said that although every team is suffering of having no fans in the ground, of course, um, you know a packed out anfield you know once a fortnight. They wouldn't have let the team dip to this level, would they? they they have suffered from having no fans,
1: yeah, but you know the the thing is that you can't change the circumstances, yeah, absolutely that, yeah that you that you find yourself in. And one of the things that I feel that I've kind of prided myself on all the way through Guardiola's time is that, like Pep doesn't make excuses, and I try not to make excuses, right. If, if we fail to win the title, it's because Liverpool were better than us. Of course, we can say Laporte was out for the whole season or this happened or that happened. But in the end, you have to deal. Every season will throw up its challenges and its circumstances and you have to deal with them. And I'm I personally, I bristle so badly when I hear people, when people talk about the lack of fans in the stadium. I immediately go, these guys get paid (laughs) millions of pounds to play football, right? I don't – me, personally, the quality of my work cannot dip by 30 or 40% because we're in the middle of a pandemic. And the idea that we're going to give a pass to lads on 250 (laughs) grand a week, right, because, yeah, but, you know – They've not got the cop behind them. It's like, come on. I mean, this I, is what I, I mean I, about, this is the difference between em, emotional and unemotional. You, if you want to be, if you want to win every single season, every single year, you have to be unemotional. You can't, you can't that operating on emotion, operating on the crowd is only going to get you so far. Well, that's the thing. I think it's perfectly
0: legitimate to damn Liverpool for that and to kind of mock them for that, even. Um, However, it's also true, I believe. I mean, those two things can be equally true. But, you know, um, while it reflects badly on them that they're an emotional team that needs the fans there, it is also true that they're an emotional team that needs fans there. So, therefore, they have suffered. I mean, the example I would give... I can't believe I'm defending Liverpool here, by the way. But the example I would give is when I'm writing... I need quiet. I'm just not one of those people who can have music playing. Whatever I need quiet, and we have had some work done on the house next door um, in recent weeks. And you're right, Sam. I need to kind of produce good work. Otherwise, you know they'll just get someone else. I I can't mm-hmm. afford it. But it was significantly harder to write, even with like you know noise cancelling headphones in, because I could just hear drilling all the time. So it's like the opposite with Liverpool. They need that noise. They need that kind of. Um, so.
2: Yeah, I'm but stay. The... But Steve, can, can I just say? But you still wrote because you had a deadline to hit. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you had, and if you had someone blasting a drilling sound in your ear, if you've got a deadline to hit because you've got mortgage to pay, you, you'll still write. Yeah, you'll, that's true. you'll come yeah. over that. I, I think. I think the, the crowd at any in any club, the crowd plays a role. It plays a a component part of the bigger picture. But let there be no doubt that this. This legendary status that the that the Anfield home crowd <laughs> is a self perpetuated myth that the Scousers have 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 implanted, and the media have bought into it and enhanced it. If Liverpool fans say to me, "We've had an in- we've had severe injuries," I'd say, "Fair enough, you've had a lot of bad luck, but you've either got world class players in your squad or you haven't, and 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 you can either come over that adversity or, or you can't." But if they say, well, we've really suffered because we've not had crowds um, in the stadium, I'll, I'll, look, I'll look at the stats and say five home games in a row losing without scoring a goal is not about fans. It's about the team. It's yeah. about the management. And, and I think, of course, they play a role. When we played Liverpool... In the 1819 season, in the new year, when we won 2-1, okay, we played a role in that, but don't tell me the City weren't going to win that game anyway, because they knew that they had to. So mm. it plays a role, but you cannot present it as the, def- it's a significant factor, but it's not the defining factor. I'll go along with and- that,
0: absolutely, yeah. I'm oh, sorry, Chris, I was just going to say that, no, that, sums, finished, all, yeah. that, that sums it up perfectly. That is, it is a significant factor. I believe City fans are kind of downplaying how significant it is, but absolutely it's not a defining factor. Uh, I think they're a busted flush, Liverpool, frankly. Um, and I do believe wholeheartedly that if football was normal, if you like, and if, if it was a packed out Anfield to, once a fortnight, Liverpool wouldn't be, wouldn't be top right now. They'd still be suffering all kinds of problems. And just maybe not as much as what we're seeing. Um, okay, let's move on to another team that's living off former glories <laughs> uh, Manchester United. Um, Solskjaer's men are 14 points behind City. ASAN, is that a fair betrayal of a disparity between the two clubs, or could it be argued, in the greater scheme of things, that they are far more than 14 points behind Man City right now?
1: Nah, I mean, I think. You know fourteen fifteen points of fair reflection, even if we win on Sunday and it's becomes seventeen. I think that's about the distance between between the two teams right now um and actually again, like not I imagine some people would disagree, but I think it's probably more to do with Solskjaer than it is to do with the squad there, kind of look at him and go, wonder whether he's reached his ceiling of what he can do with that group of players. It's gonna sound terrible. It it almost reminds me a little bit of Tim Sherwood in that you feel like you know he's a guy who has got some like legitimacy from his time as a player um, and has got a little bit of buy-in from the players. But ultimately, you see also the uh, lack of solutions. I think what 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 really staggered me was when the i saw a, a graphic of all the results since they went top of the table that's the definition of a bottle job yeah there's yeah, of, yeah there's a lot of results inside of that that you just kind of go your players are way better than that and if you if if you have one of those results it's anomalous and you have two of them, it's anomalous. But when it gets to three, four, five results that you like the palace one, where you just go, that's just not good enough. Um For me, then a little bit, you begin, you begin to look at, look at the manager and go, yeah, maybe you've reached a point where this lot, the, the, the problems that you're now encountering cannot just be solved with, we've got better players than you. You have to also find solutions. And I think, you know, I've 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 seen it so many times with United this season. I don't think that they have uh I don't think they're coached enough to know how to break down low blocks, because low blocks in this day and age are far more sophisticated than than we think they are. Um and it's yeah, it's it's a difficult one. But no, just to go back to the beginning of the question, um I think that's a fair reflection, fourteen, seventeen points. Okay. Well, ahead of the
0: previous derby, I wrote an article for a betting site saying, claiming that there's every chance that United could top City this season. In hindsight, Chris, how stupid am I?
2: <laughs> no, you, you're not. You're not stupid. I, I just say you've probably fallen prey to a little bit of the hyperbole that's always surrounded United in terms of they will always come back because of who they are historically, and, yeah. and I agree with I agree with A-San that. that, that there's there's a there's a misconception amongst in the football landscape about about managers in that if you supply them with enough resources and give them enough time they'll always achieve it just isn't true simply because th- there are a, there are an elite group of world class football players in the same way there's an elite group of world class managers some people some people will will graduate to their own level of incompetence and and that's exactly what Solskjaer has done now he's he he, he has reached that ceiling and i think i think i think that the 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 14 points in some ways you could say is generous to united because i think it's a wider disparity between city but i also think i also think it's a wide disparity between city and the rest of the league at the, uh, um, at the moment but, but but for united it's the problem is so Widespread and and it's for me it's all about legacy, because from 2013 onwards they never really addressed the problem of how did they exist in a post-Ferguson period, because they didn't acknowledge that Ferguson was exceptional, and you know and and when we look back over his achievements when we talk about back-to-back title victories in. Today, you know, you look back and Ferguson achieved two, uh, two, um, two back to back three times. You know, he won it three times in a row, two, twice. So his achievements were exceptional. United's legacy planning was so naive for such a large organization. Um, and once Moyes failed, which was badly handled in the first place, and but once Moyes failed, they were just confused about do they want to do they want to achieve short term glory or do they want to have um, a longer plan? And that's why you saw Vajal come through and you saw M- M- Mourinho come through. And what Solskjaer was, as we know, Solskjaer was a reflection of, of, of this 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 nonsense about th- this is Manchester United and, and we have the history and we you know Solskjaer's got United. DNA in blood, but but you know all this nonsense. You're talking about a major global brand, and you put your faith in, in, in an emotional misconception that that DNA runs through the blood of former players. It's a nonsense, and <laughs> and and so and so I uh, you know I, I just see now Solskjaer, it is it, it, he, he's absolutely reached his capacity. He has nowhere else to go, and and you know a big part of the reason. United remaining second is because of the inconsistency of a lot of the other teams uh, around them. So to go, yeah, to go back to your question, I think I think 14 points is possibly generous, and on Sunday it might be 17 points, which might be a, a more realistic uh, <laughs> overview of, of, of the distance between the two teams in Manchester.
0: I, regarding software, I kind of disagree with the two of you. I mean, you've both said that kind of he's now hit his ceiling. I think we've always seen this with him. Um, they've always been a streaky team from the moment he took charge. Uh, they, they got off to that phenomenal run, didn't they, when he took over, so like 20 games, kind of unbeaten or whatever it was. Uh, and then they absolutely fell off a cliff. Um, start of the next season, they were atrocious for a good two-thirds of the season, post-lockdown last year. They were brilliant again. Um, so this season, they've been brilliant, and now we're seeing, you know, the, the kind of uh, opposite to that. And it just seems to be this jackal and Hyde team, but kind of split across a whole season um, and that just seems to be the social way.
1: You don't but
2: think have they ever but have they ever
1: Sorry, go on A son. You don't think they've improved at all, Steve, in the last two years? Because I, I do I think for me the one thing I would say um is that when they play when they've played well in the last eight and nine months um I think they've looked different more real as a football team than they have done at any point since Ferguson left. Mm, okay. So for me there's been some there's been some improvement. I'm not trying to you know I'm not trying to chalk them up, but I think I'm I personally I'd be very wary, for example, of going into Sunday going, this is a foregone conclusion and we're going to beat them. I think absolutely. that, that it absolutely is not that far away in our memory to remember them on the counter attack under Solskjaer at the Etihad cutting through our defense time and time again. And I think that there's a lot of little things I can point to where you kind of go, wait, was that Wolves first shot on target where, with, that they scored with in, in midweek? Um, little things like that that make me go, We're not, we're not, we're we're way better than United, but United aren't shy and I would not be, like it wouldn't stagger me if they turn up on Sunday and put in a performance that's annoyingly good. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like just a a, a performance where you kind of go, where have you pulled that from? Do you know what I mean? Five players have just played at a really super high level against City. And I guess that's what I mean about improvement in general. I think that there's been enough improvement there in the last two years for me to feel like a ceiling has been hit. Chris, do you go along with that as regards to the United's
0: counter-attacking on, on the weekend? Do you think it, it is possibly going to be as much a threat as it was last season. I mean, I look at stones and Diaz now and Rodri, and I just can't imagine as being, you know, kind of, um, hurt by it again. I mean,
2: I, th- I think there's two things. The timing of the game on Sunday, I actually think is great for city because with the current run we're on, if, if, if ever there's an opportunity, if ever there's a chance that we're going to lose stupidly in the game, it would be about this point where where complacency could possibly seep in. So I think the derby on Sunday is perfect timing because because it will it will you know refresh their winning mentality. Um, I I think United have improved, but I still I still fail to be convinced by them. And I know that the, you know their position in the table and their the points haul. Would contradict my viewpoint, but I just every time I watch them, I find I just find them frustrating to watch, and I'm constantly trying to identify a consistent style of play from them, which I never see. I think that their key strength is obviously counterattacking, and the pace that they have moving forward. But the key difference is, is that you know when they when they counterattack, if they counterattack on Sunday, they'll meet Stones and Diaz, and Rodri. Whereas before, they would meet Otamendi. And so, it's you know, so, so the, 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 we have a different answer to that. I still think they'll attempt to counter like I can't see United coming into this game with a low block. I, I, think, I don't think they'll be able to resist going toe-to-toe with us, which I hope they do, because it'll make for a far more interesting game. But I, you know, I, I was anxious about Wolves's counterattack, but it only really emerged on a couple of occasions. And that's just when, when you know, when Cancelo had left that left back position to be more for, to be more progressive in the midfield. So, no, United will try to counterattack because that's their key weapon that they have. But the but the difference is is that we now have a different proposition to face them with if they do try and do that. So I, I, I'm a lot less concerned um, because also I do feel they are quite one-dimensional as well so if that stops working for them they won't have any other uh, um, options to to call upon.
0: Well here's a stat for you regarding Stones and Diaz if they don't concede after six minutes on Sunday then the partnership will have only conceded three goals in 24 hours of football. (laughs) Which is ludicrous. I mean, I I, I I wrote that this week for a betting site and I genuinely had to treble check that. I thought, it can't be right, that. And then, as I put in the article, if you just think back to what you were doing at this time yesterday and think that that whole period since, including kind of, you know, six, seven hours of sleep and all the rest of it, you've got Sala, you've got Kane, you've got kind of Fernandes, you've got everyone all trying to kind of run off you and run into the channels Three goals they've conceded, those two, in
2: 24 hours. You, you have to put some context to that as well, because obviously for a lot of that 24 hours, the, the ball hasn't been in our half. <laughs> well, that's so, true, so, yes, yeah, so, yeah. You know, since they've been, <laughs> so they've been watching the game. But where, where you would then use that stat is the fact is, the difference is, is that on the rare occasions when a team counterattacks attacks and, and gets into uh, the final third, Diaz and Stones have cleaned, have cleaned it up. Yeah. And so and so and to say, it's the same that we have with Edison. Edison can, can spend eight to nine minutes of a game just watching a ball at a distance. But when he's called upon, he'll make the save because it's about levels of concentration. And that is one of the key things. The difference between Diaz and Otamendi, we could be here all day talking about it, but one of the key elements is the level of concentration and the way Diaz applies himself when there's a player coming forward towards him. So, yeah. It is a remarkable start either way that that y- you you look at it. And 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 it's why I think that for me there's no other option than starting the Essence Stones. I don't I don't you know, Laporte is is is, is you know is improving um this season, but for me they've got to be at the centre of the defence on Sunday.
0: I do you go along with that and and kind of moving in kind of through through the midfield and up top, kind of what kind of setup do you think? like for example
1: up front do you think it's going to be a false nine um so i think it'll be quite similar to liverpool i think that to a greater or a lesser extent guardiola will want to go with what has been successful for him so yeah i mean when we talk about the false nine i don't think i don't think aguero will start for example mm. um would i pick like right now, when I look at form and I look at the front players, well Maris has played really well the last few games, so Maris got a play. Um I think Sterling's form is improving, so he's got a play. And then it's it's a coin toss between Foden and Jesus, that would be my way of solving. Yeah, it, so know. it's interrupt me, but in, in the middle, Foden and Jesus. Yeah, centrally yeah. As, the, yeah. as the as the false nine it'd be for me it'd be one of
0: those two. And midfield, kind of, where does Gundogan, kind of, De Bruyne, Rodri, is it going to be those three in the midfields Think.
1: Is it, is did, Kev play, <laughs> did Kev play ninety minutes against Wolves, or did he come off?
0: I think he played the full ninety, didn't he, Chris? He
1: did. Yeah, he played ninety. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass that question to Chris. So, quote Chris, you've got to pick a midfield three. Which three are you picking from Rodri, Gondo, Ferner, Bernardo and KDB?
2: Yeah, Cheers, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh It's really hard. It's a thing that I have is I, I love having a deep squad, but it, it's heartbreaking when players have to miss big games. So, okay, in terms of attitude, Ferner and Bernardo love a derby. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And, yeah. and,
2: and, and, you know, and, and particularly Ferner, you know, but in terms of current form, I'd go Rodri and I'd go KDB and Gundo because immediately Gundo and came on against Wolves. He, he just brought something that wasn't there in the previous, like 70 odd minutes. Um, but, but yeah, it, it would mean Bernardo being being sacrificed. But yeah, I, I'd start with Rodri and Fernie could always come on as a sub. But yeah, I'd go KDB and, and Gundo. Yeah,
0: Bernardo, I mean, God love him. If there's not enough reasons to love that man anyway, he does love a derby, as you say. So yeah, I never factored that in, actually. I was kind of quite sure that I want you know, the midfield three I wanted. And now I'm not so sure, but this is on Pep, isn't it? So thankfully I don't have to make that decision. <laughs> um, how do you see the game playing out, Chris?
2: As I said before, I, I just think I think it's a big game for Roderick to con- control that that midfield, which I have total confidence he'll be able to do. And I, I just think that United will not be able to resist going to toe to toe with us. In, in that they'll struggle to to to, to play a low block, a low block. And and if they do go toe to toe with us, I think that they will struggle, um, and we would punish them. I mean. You know, I'd I'd really love to embarrass them. I can't really quite I can't quite see it happening. But I, I still feel quite comfortable. You know, um, I, I feel comfortable that we won't concede, um, and I feel comfortable that re- regardless of how United approach it, we're still in a certain moment in our performances where we can absorb anybody's. Uh, Strategy towards us, and still be able to impose ourselves on the game. So yeah, I'm I'm confident, but I'm really I really hope United do come out and play us. It'll make for a far more exciting game, but also create far more opportunities for goals.
0: What about your score prediction?
2: Um, well, I'm I'm going to say two nil. Okay, Asan,
0: uh, how can how do you see the game playing out, and and what's your score prediction?
1: Um, I'm really looking forward to it because I. I'm a man who sadistically likes a Derby. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I particularly like a Derby when I feel that we're in good form and I feel that we're in pretty good form right now. Um, How does the game play out? I mean, you know, it's not really going to be, I'd be surprised if it's any different to most of our games in the last six, eight weeks. I expect city to dominate the ball. I disagree with Chris. I expect United to play very deep and very negative. I imagine that they'll try and do. He'll, he's going to do something daft. He's going to go with three at the back, or he's going to play. You know, four centre midfield players. He's going to. They're going to be really bloody negative. I'm. I'm sure of it because he's not going to be asked about. We've got to win this game. He's going to be asked about. I'm not being humiliated by by Man City, um, and they'll know that they, they pose a threat on the break. So I expect we'll keep. We'll dominate the ball. Um, they'll play very deep. And then, I mean, it's going to come down to individuals and moments, really. Uh, but what I've seen of this city team in the last couple of months, the thing that makes me confident that we'll win is that this city team seem to almost be offended at the thought of not winning yes. games. Yeah. Like that. There's something very like, there's a mentality thing here, which, I've almost never seen before, and could, because the the weird thing is that it seems connected to conceding goals rather than scoring goals. I think that City were always a team that were built on scoring goals and and built on you know you can score two because we'll score eight that kind of vibe. Whereas we're a different City team right now. We're a team where. When the when the opposition get a chance or when they score a goal, it's like that's the thing that makes everybody go. Well, that's not happening again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I expect shouldn't say it, but I expect City will win. Okay, score prediction. Um, I think clean sheets, so I think two 0
0: Okay, um, I think you're absolutely right about the mentality about and and you know responding so strongly when we can see we saw it against Wolves. It was just basically a matter of set. how very dare you. Um, I think it's going to be four 0 I, I think um, it's going to be a bit a bit of a kind of um, a, a, a touchy kind of ten scan game first half. I think it's going to open up in the second half, and I think we'll comfortably win three goals in the second half. Um, just. Staying with United briefly, uh, we'll just kind of quickly touch on this, but it's just kind of something that occurred to me this week. That United are getting panned right now, and, you know, I'm all for that. Of course I am. Um, but so often we see the trailing side in second place get all the criticism for, you know, allowing a leader to kind of run off with, with attack. We saw the same with Spurs, who got cues of being bottlers in 2016 when Leicester won it. Meanwhile, City, United, Arsenal, Liverpool... We, we we got it fairly easy, really. Um, Chris, is this unfair on United? And who do you think manager or team is actually deserving of the most criticism this season for underachievement?
2: I think in some ways United are a little bit unlucky in that on both occasions where they've held that second place spot and actually you know won quite a lot of points this season and in the 17-18 season when they had Mourinho, that was when City were just exceptional as they are being this season. And so, in in some respects, it's kind of unlucky. I know Mourinho said in that season that it's his greatest ever achievement to come second to the City side in the league. And I kind of understand where he's he's coming from with that. So, I think think contextually, it's been a little bit... They've been a little bit... uh, Unlucky, but the, the criticism for the second place team or the third place team is usually defined by what, what the media narrative is. So, so let me give you two examples in 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 the twelve thirteen season um, when that was Ferguson's last one before he retired, we were absolutely lambasted for not defending the title with Mancino. I remember remember Sam Wallace at the Times wrote, he said that it was the worst defence ever. Of course, he'd forgotten about the Blackburn defence, but that's what fitted the narrative. They wanted to paint City as being incapable of doing it for um, a a second season. And, and And I think, I mean, you know, the picture is wider. I think Liverpool are getting an incredibly easy ride at the minute from the media in terms of their 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 utter failure to defend the title. So I think sometimes from the criticism aimed at United it is a little bit unfair in terms of their inability to 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 get closer to, to City. But in terms of in terms of other uh, teams or managers, I think Spurs deserve a hell of a lot of criticism yeah. because they have regressed. Um, and, and and because Mourinho still remains this darling of the media, it it, it on the whole they refuse to to criticise him wholesale for the way he has completely regressed that 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 team, the style of play, and the atmosphere within that club. I think Wolves have regressed a lot as well. Um, Southampton, to a lesser extent, and I think and you know, so I think Wolves deserve some criticism as well of, of, of why that has happened. Like all, all their key strengths and their key idiosyncrasies, because they are. Re- Tuesday reminded me that Wolves are a team that are packed with talented and technical. Oh, players. absolutely. Yeah. You know, and and, talk, and I think it's sorry. easy to. I th- yeah, it's easy to, to 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 forget that, and and the manager's been unable to 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 have the continuity mm. from for, from the previous season, uh, but of them all, I'd say it's Spurs. But then it's a it's a Mourinho thing. You know, It's hmm. always the same with him No matter where he goes He becomes immune to criticism Because people remain convinced That, that it is a plan Or, or it isn't his fault it, it's, a, it, it's a player resource issue So of them all I think Spurs deserve the most criticism But of course Liverpool do At the top of the pile Regardless of this context of, of COVID Regardless of their injuries Their title defence Is the worst I've ever seen In the Premier League era
0: Sam, do you go along with that? Do you think Liverpool are getting a bit of an easy ride in the media? Uh, do you think there's other teams who deserve more criticism
1: than what they're getting? I think Liverpool deserve uh, all the criticism that they're about to get. I don't think that... I think they probably had a little bit of an easy ride. It won't last. I think I'm beginning to see already. Um, I'm beginning to read a real shift in tone from the fanzine writers that are employed by the mainstream media at <coughs> Liverpool. I think that there's now a a serious... Um, you begin to see it now. So there's two 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 narratives are drifting to the top of the pile uh, around Liverpool. Number one, it is absolutely paramount the owners spend big this summer. Jamie Carragher said it last night after the game... Uh, I think the uh, fanzine writer at the Athletic for for Liverpool—they got two over there. So one of those two, Tweedledee or Tweedledum—I don't know—two <laughs> out really. But one of those two said this morning that uh, they need to they need to spend big dough. So that's the uh, the first narrative that's coming to the fore. And the second one, which I'm surprised by, but I also think it's fair enough, and it was it was inevitable eventually it come is Klopp needs to do better he needs another plan he needs to be tactically much better than he's currently being I think when the fanzine writers are saying that when the fanzine writers begin to turn on Kloppo I think then you know that okay this isn't a case of everything being swept under the rug they are now going to begin to take aim inwards. We forget the fact that, you know, for thirty year for the thirty years that they didn't win a title, they were constantly running owners or managers out of the club or trying to uh for, for not winning those titles. And I think that we're gonna slowly head back in that direction.
0: Okay. Um just return to the derby this weekend. Uh, Chris, how do you personally feel about United these days? Has it changed since you were younger? Has it become less intense?
2: Supporting City changed the minute we were taken over by the owners. Right. In, in, For me anyway. In, in that, you know, when we were... Average at best. You know, I had this slightly laissez faire attitude of like, well, if we win, great, and if we don't, okay, whatever. You know, and it, you know, it's it, it sort of it, it it was a different experience supporting the team. As soon as we became good and started to win things, it, it shifts from that attitude to, to almost like a forensic analysis of every single game. And I I find it, I don't know about you, but I find it far more stressful being a City fan now than I did. Um, when we weren't when we were winning things, because what's at stake in each game feels it seems so much more intense, and yeah. um, and that shift and that shift has extended to how I view other teams, particularly uh, United. So the way I feel about them is different now. After we beat them six one, that fear factor started to dissipate, and and that was reinforced when we did the double over them in the two thousand fourteen season. And I guess the key thing is is they've just become less relevant to me. In in terms of the, the the wider context of challenging for for the title, and now I focus more on the points that I get from them rather than the bragging rights. And United, all they've got now is the bragging rights. So yeah. I don't I don't I I, I don't like. It hate them as much as I used to because because my 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 kind of contempt towards them has shifted over to Liverpool really. For a while it was Chelsea and and and, and now it's and now it's a lot more to, to to Liverpool. I still want to beat them categorically. I still want I still want to see them fail. I still want to make sure that people when people think about Manchester they only think about one team and they play in a <laughs> blue shirt. But my that sort of sociopathic <laughs> intense, it, it, intense hatred of them just just isn't the same, and I think it's because, like I say, it's about relevance. You know, I want to beat them, but but it doesn't. They don't feel as relevant in our progress.
0: I, I'm completely the same. I'm on the, exactly the same page. Yeah, um, I read a I reread an article I wrote about I don't know 2013 around that time about United, and oh my god, my vitriol, my. Kind of hatred of them just shone through in every line, and I would never write an article about about, about United like that now. It's just I don't feel the same way about them at all. Um, Ace Landers, the same go for you,
1: yeah. I mean, they're not relevant to me, to be honest. Yeah, that's that's they've not been relevant for a long time. So, um, beyond the kind of Derby Day bragging rights, not really been a while since United have registered. On my radar. I mean, you know, and I mean that I'm not even trying to be flippant about it. I, I can't remember the last time that I in that I took a United fan seriously because my point of view is come talk to me when you're relevant to us. Right. And I can't remember, you know, that the, the, they go on about Jose's season where he finished second. He finished like 30 points behind City. Do you know what I mean? It's not, um, It's not that big a deal. Um, Yeah, they're just not relevant to me.
0: That's a lovely way to end on United, at least. And just to finish up one final question, kind of not related to United, but just something that occurred to me this week. Um, Chris, uh, if you go first, you can pick two players from the Premier League this season to join City on, on free transfers. There's no force, there's no controversy, so it doesn't matter if it's a United player switching across the City or Liverpool as soon as you move as city players, as of this weekend, who would you go for?
2: I actually found this question really difficult to to answer. Um, But so I I, I took an approach, which is about find the problem and then find the solution. So, so, So I think we, I think we can be more clinical in front of goal with the chances that we take. So I'd get son from Tottenham. Yeah. Um, and I think we need a reliable penalty taker, so I'd get Fernandes.
0: <laughs> right, okay, fair enough. Well,
2: I did say at the start, no controversy, so yeah. And yeah. um,
0: you which, was, which is the two you'd go for?
1: From any Premier League team? Yeah. I'm taking Lucas Dina from Everton. Yeah. And I'm taking... I'm trying to decide on who the forward is going to be. I think I'm just going to take Harry Kane because I think I just want, like, guaranteed goals. So, Kane oh, wow. and Dina. I didn't
0: think Harry Kane. I would, I would probably swap my... I've gone for Golo Kante, just because of Furner's age now. You know, so for the next two or three seasons to have, kind of, Rodri and Kante. In, that's, that's that central midfield just wrapped up. Um, I'd go for well as left back, instead of Dina. Um, i rate them both. Uh, I just think that well has got more of a, a ceiling on him and a higher ceiling. Um, but, yeah, I, I tried to, to keep it practical. But Harry Kane in the City team, yeah, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> um, right, gentlemen, thank you very much for today. Um, thanks, Aysan. Thank you very much, mate. I love that. Thanks, Chris.
2: Cheers, yeah. Great fun.
0: And thanks, uh, as always, listeners, for listening in. That's a wrap, folks. Please check out the other great content across the 9320 platform, including an article by Howard That Is, in my humble opinion, borderline genius. (laughs) In, In the meantime, take care of yourselves, stay safe, and forever up the blues.